vocal band, the Dirt Bombs out of Detroit. Chains of Love. Coming up, Gray Matters. I was your host for the past hour and a half, and this, I don't know, maybe the second to last time I do this this summer, so thank you for spending as much of it as you have with me. I'm Mr. Jug. Coming up, Gray Matters. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Well, uh, good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Gray Matters is the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. Playoffs are all done. We'll get to them in a second because I want to talk about the, the gambling angle in this whole thing. This is the problem with what the Supreme Court ruled a couple of weeks ago. These uh, The first of, I think, many. Problems. Many controversial cases. Uh, the cake case, by the way, is somewhat minor. That's kind of a bureaucratic thing involving the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. I don't think we even need to bother with that one. I'm still curious long term what the uh, durability of this guy's business. Right. Now that this has occurred. What kind of uh, support is he going to get from the community within which he operates? Well, yes, exactly, and that's the problem. I guess he wants to be known as... Lots of people don't like to support a hater. A, a bigot. <laughs> Bring your business, business to the bigot. I mean, one odd... Maybe there's an uptick in erotic cake orders being placed with him, though, too. Uh, who knows? Yeah, and one odd thing on the whole... Uh, food thing was that Scott Pruitt last week was defending his decision to be corrupt and help his wife get a uh, a uh, franchise for Chick-fil-A. I've never eaten there. I don't know anything about it, but I know that it's a, quote, conservative, family-friendly restaurant. Pruitt was actually extolling that. As he called a, it a faith operation. A faith operation, yeah. Um, so he didn't see any problem with the ethical conflicts involved with that. Uh, I was amused to hear, by the way, that in Singapore they are <laughs> they are selling a chicken burger co called the kimchi, <laughs> the kimchi chicken burger. So maybe Scott Pruitt can f feature that in his uh, upcoming <laughs> Chick Fil A uh, restaurant, um, where everyone gets to sit on a used mattress. Yeah, he's in the used mattress and the, the ointment uh, <laughs> business as well. It's a remarkable uh, catalog he's uh, accumulating. It's getting more and more bizarre as we as we as we go. In fact, you wonder if Donald Trump is going to wash the feet of Kim <laughs> Kim Jong Un with with ointment to you know bring back the Bible. I mean. <laughs> This this whole thing is like turned into the biggest farce of all time. I'm not fooled by it. I genuinely hope. Hey, let's get rid of the nuclear weapons. And that ain't going to happen though in a 45 minute meeting. Not where he looks into his eye for one minute to make a determination. I know how it's going to go after uh, one a minute. minute. A minute. It's my touch, my feel, my touch, my gut. It's like yeah, that works so well with all those women that you <laughs> pawed. Oh, well, the Donald is, uh, he's been on a tirade now for, for m months on end, attacking just virtually about everybody in the world. It, well, of except course. Putin except and Kim, for Putin. Kim Jong-un. And uh, 
Gee, I don't know where you want to start first uh, to start with the summit thing and go backwards, but uh, he, he could hardly be seen to be doing the bidding of Vladimir Putin any more than what he's already doing. I mean, for yeah. a guy who's trying to downplay, oh, the Russia thing's a, it's a phony. That's a witch hunt. It's fake. Dude, why do you keep playing every Putin hand that would be played? Sure. It's remarkable. Well, it, and it, it raises the question of whether he's the Siberian candidate, the <laughs> Korean candidate, the Manchurian candidate, or, or the urine candidate, or the Crimean candidate. Uh, I think there were good reasons for uh, Russia to be bounced out of the G7. And let's not get too upset about this tussle over the communique. I mean, this is a pro forma thing that goes on at these summits of the elite. These people account for 60% of global GDP, and, and these countries have run the WTO for years. Um, it was fascinating, by the way, that Russia was meeting with China over, over the weekend to counteract that. And uh, Trump just simply has all of his facts wrong. Uh, we don't have a trade deficit with Canada, by the way. Turns out we have a trade surplus. Well, to even try to spin it, or as Larry Kudlow did, denounce it as a stab in the back. Betrayal. Some other guy said there's a special place in hell for Justin Trudeau for upsetting Trump. The the uh, the cat classification of the uh, uh, behavior of Canadian business, whether it's agriculture or aluminum, uh, is detrimental to the national security of the United States. That's absurd. Well, and that's what they've objected to. In other words, the, the Trump administration is reaching on the national security issue because, as it turns out, the people that are going to get slapped with these tariffs are, are allies and the people that are going to get exemptions are not well and ultimately there'll be a price to pay for american workers many of whom will lose jobs because it represents a, a increasing cost of goods for manufacturing and let's remember that this has been developing over the last several weeks i mean trump is angry at europe because this anger appeals to his base here in the united states uh europe has gone around the u.s on the iran deal trying to sort of salvage it then there was the Jerusalem business with the massacres occurring in Gaza that Trump and uh, Nikki Haley sort of downplayed. Um, the tariffs tit for tat, I guess that's where, where we're going with this. Who knows? Who cares? Uh, consumers are going to pay more for mm. goods. And some consumers can make substitutions. But if you really want to look at the structural problem with the trade deficit, it's it's connected to oil and it's connected to products that Americans want to buy. Do you know that we have a much larger deficit in toys than we do in steel? We that toys actually contribute more to the trade deficit. So if Trump wants to reduce the toy deficit for children, <laughs> He ought to like go on a, a rampage and go through all of the retail stores in America and slap tariffs on toys made in China so that we can get back into the toy production here in the United States. Uh, gee, are, are Legos made in America? I don't think so. Santa Claus using non-union labor, so uh, that should fly with uh, a lot of the right-to-work states. So, you know, and I, and also I think that Trump 
you know, he got called out for the War of 1812, claiming that the Canadians burned down the White House. Actually, you know what my fantasy was regarding the the summit located uh, as it was occurring as it was in Canada was for uh, Trump to sort of try and haha joke around with Trudeau saying, hey, uh, Canadian hockey team hasn't won the Stanley Cup in a whole bunch of years, but we got it in Washington, D.C., to which Justin Trudeau could reply, uh, could have replied, uh, yeah, you needed Russians help to get that, though, too. Sure. And then he could haul off and just pull the sweater up over his head and give him a good punch in the face that he so roundly deserves. And, of course, you know, the connections with Trump and Russia uh, go way back. Uh, it's interesting that books are now coming out showing that Trump was actually cultivated as an asset, uh, even as back far when he was married to Ivana Trump. Uh, he's been... Always like those Eastern European beauties. Well, he's been spotted. He's been... Uh, who knows what his relationship with Russia is. He claims there's no collusion. Collusion, by the way, is a business term. Uh, and we're not talking about collusion anymore. We're talking about obstruction of justice and... Really, treason. Disinformation. Bribery. Uh, high crimes and misdemeanors and treason. That's what's in the American Constitution. I recently read a book by uh, Timothy Snyder that's got a very good analysis of how the relationship with Russia and Trump actually worked. <clears throat> the first stage of the process was that the Russians had to transform a failed real estate developer into a recipient of their capital. Now, the way this worked was... Russian oligarchs bought apartments at Trump Tower. At above market value. At above market value. We already have... Convenient for them because they can stash the cash. Documented case in, in Florida of a man, a Russian, who bought uh, <clears throat> a uh, castle or some sort of building from Trump for $55 million more than he paid for it. He then tore the building down and somehow purchased the Leonardo da Vinci Salvador Mundi painting that was recently sold to Crown Prince Salman of Saudi Arabia for twice what he paid for it. So King Salman of Saudi Arabia paid $450 million, a cool half billion roughly. Uh, the auction house took $50 million off the top on that, so... He, the, the the Russian oligarch, pocketed uh, four hundred. He bought the painting for like one hundred eighty million and cleared uh, four hundred million on the deal. The second phase of this Russian manipulation is that the failed real estate developer, i.e., Trump, has to be portrayed on American television as a successful businessman. Hmm. You mean the fictional character Donald Trump? Yes. <laughs> and, of course, there are estimates that Donald Trump may be $4 billion in debt. This is what he's really angry about. Things are collapsing around him. Um, and then, of course, <clears throat> Russia uh, creates this uh, support for the fictional character, and the successful businessman is used as a kind of an archetype for the 2016 election. Let's remember, by the way, that on the 28th of July, 2016, it was Donald Trump himself who said, Russia, are you listening? 
there are 33,000 emails missing. And this is two days after, three days after WikiLeaks had dumped a bunch of leaked emails, hacked emails. Uh, Julian Assange uh, does seem to have been collaborating with the Russian uh, campaign. And that's how this worked. Trump needs to answer those questions. And, of course, we know about the 9th of June meeting with Manafort, Donald Jr., and uh, Count Chano, uh, Jared Kushner. <laughs> I mean, this this is all pretty remarkable stuff. And then to have this, uh, th- th- this G7 meeting was, I think, symbolic of what is wrong with Trump. Um, he seems to be attacking his, our, his, America's allies, and he, he's going to be left, it seems to me, with a, an alliance of Kim Jong-un and Bibi Netanyahu. Putin is smart enough to kind of keep the distance. Oh, it's a stink bomb that's a slow diffuser. And, of course, the Russian goal all along has been to disrupt the American G7 relationship. These countries in the G7, the major ones, are, are rivals of Russia. Now, it's true that, the, for instance, Germany does have uh, energy deals with Russia. There is a big pipeline. Um, they actually want to build a new one that's pumping uh, fossil fuel from uh, western Russia to, directly to, to, to Germany in the sort of uh, Hamburg-Kiel uh, area of Germany through the Baltic Sea, and the Germans want to build a widened pipeline to deal with more fossil fuel and that sort of thing. So it's a little unclear where Trump is is even going with all of these tariffs. Um, the, The United States has structural trade deficits in certain commodities, but the deficit is not as bad as as uh, Trump claims, and the other the the really serious deficit, by the way, is the budget deficit, the tax cuts, the imbalance between revenue taken in by the and government. That he boasts about as his greatest achievement. Yeah, and then there's a there's a there's a kind of a breakdown in his logic. If the trade deficit is such a big problem, why did why was the economy creating jobs all last year? Well, it's just part of the cyclical uh, growth cycle um, that's been going on for, well, since 2009. Another way of looking at his uh, late arrival uh, to an early departure from the G7 meeting is that maybe on one level he realizes he's out of his league with these people, uh, that he doesn't understand the, the hegemonic system. Uh, I mean, it's quite clear that he doesn't because uh, he's the president of the United States. That's the head of the G7 table. Of the hegemon. Exactly. If you're setting the table, that's the fancy spot. It's always been the driver's seat spot for him to leave early to go have this quote-unquote summit, about which I've got a few comments as a term, maybe later, uh, with Kim Jong-un, a low-level tin pot dictator. dictator who's basically got a concentration camp of a country. Uh, that's like leaving the big boy table at the family Thanksgiving get-together, where you're the head of the table carving the turkey, to go sit at the little kid table where there's mashed potatoes on your elbows. Right. But well, I think that's the, the level at which he feels 
I'm, I can operate with this. This guy, he's like me. He goes by his gut. Well, actually, you're probably about to get played by Kim Jong-un, who is maybe more well-educated than you. I don't know. Well, and, and Kim Jong-un, it's well known that he has met with China twice in the last couple of months. He met with Putin mm -hmm. directly. If you go back and you read a history of the Korean War, which I did about a uh, two months ago, it's fascinating to discover that the most of the, about half the war were actually tough negotiations about the armistice. You know, they had disputes about the POWs, how they were going to be exchanged. Uh, th this, by the way, was actually a UN uh, operation to begin with. It turned into ostensibly an American war. But after reading the, the history of the Korean War, the actual Korean War, which uh, was started by Kim Jong-un's grandfather, Kim Il-sung, I realized that Stalin went kind of along with Kim Kim's plan. Everybody in Korea called Kim. <laughs> it's, it is strange. Kim Chi, <laughs> on and on. But anyway... Stalin went along with this idea because he knew that the Americans were going to go into Korea. They were already there. They were in Japan. He was concerned about consolidating power in Eastern Europe. He was interested in Europe. So having America bogged down in an Asian mm -hmm. war was how Stalin was shrewd. We don't justify what Stalin did internally or who he was, but he sometimes fooled the Americans. He's the one that walked out of the U.N. Security Council meeting that allowed the United States to get the unanimous vote because let's remember that Taiwan had the vote in the U.N. Security Council. Yeah, not, China, China was not recognized. Not Red China. Now, a summit, you know, what Nixon did in 72 with Mao, okay, that meeting was a, a preliminary discussion. That Nobody had any delusions that this was going to change the history of human civilization. Um, of course, Nixon uh, was well-financed by Coca-Cola, and he also seemed to have a big uh, slush fund from the milk producers. Jeez, the United States has been subsidizing milk production for years and years. There's a big surplus. And what does Trump say? I hate the Canadians because of the 270% tariff on dairy. <laughs> like, what? Well, regarding Nixon going to China, <laughs> he had Kissinger working behind the scenes sure. to set that all up. Right. This meeting with Kim Jong-un a month ago had been canceled. And so now it's back on. The degree of preparation... Uh, is anybody's guess uh, how well the president has been briefed. They're going to spend 45 minutes alone together with only their translators, although I think Kim Jong-un does speak some English. It's really more of a play date yeah. than a summit. I mean, a summit, just linguistically speaking, Trump's not capable of attaining anything like a summit, literally or figuratively. Um, that's where sort of two equals meet at the top. Sure to discuss the issues that affect everybody down below. Strategic this, arms limitations, for instance. Yeah. Salt one, salt two. This is a nadir, really. It's a low point. It's, it's 
uh, Kim Jong-un has already won the summit because he's being treated like a celebrity in Singapore. There's people lined up to photograph him like, oh, it's Johnny Depp. No, it's Kim Jong-un. And he's taking selfies. He's taking selfies. He's having a a great time. He's he's loving it. And of course, he's been made a co-equal with the president of the United States. And they're playing this up in North Korea. It's hilarious. And, you know, let's remember that Kim Jong-un called Trump uh, a dotard not long ago. This, of course, is what uh, Trump said about Kim Jong-un. Well, somebody from his depleted and food-starved regime, please inform him that I, too, have a nuclear button, little rocket man. I would never call him short and fat, little rocket man, rocket man, little rocket man, obviously a madman, rocket man. That's one of Trump's typical tweets and of course, what does he do with this this uh, this G seven thing? He tries to invent a fictional thing where Justin Trudeau insulted the American government. Justin Trudeau had a scheduled press conference to discuss the communique. Mm. He reiterated a point that he's made publicly over and over and over about the tariffs. He didn't insult the United States. Trump left the summit early. He's the one that took his marbles and went and got on the airplane because he's so anxious for this meeting with Kim Jong-un in Singapore. What is going on here? <laughs> They're paying for this? They're clearing out the island? or the it's, it's, The whole thing is ludicrous. And, for, and, and, and the facts that, of course, have emerged are quite clear. Um, Here's uh, Susan Aronson, a professor at George Washington University's uh, Elliott School for International Affairs. She says, while the system has problems, it's in no way unfair to the United States, which as a hegemon has set the rules and the exception to the rules. The facts are the United States has won 90 percent of these WTO uh, things. Just two weeks ago, it was... Donald Trump's trade representative, Mr. Robert uh, Leitenheiser, who noted that we are nowhere close to a deal in describing the, quote, NAFTA negotiations. So this is another reason Trump is upset. Canada and Mexico are negotiating tough. He pretends that he's the only one that can... Strike a deal. Well, when he wants to knock his predecessor, he says, oh, well, I don't blame other countries for negotiating the best uh, deal for, for their people. Too bad we've never had that here. Only I am capable of doing that. But when countries do actually push back or hold their own ground, uh, it's a personal betrayal to him. Right. And, of course, those were the words that he used. You know, he, he accused uh Trudeau of, quote, being very dishonest and weak. Uh, Of course, the facts are quite different. Um, Very dishonest and weak, by the way, was part of one of his tweets in which our tariffs are in response to his 270 percent on dairy. (laughs) That's laughable. And, you know, where is the reaction of uh, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan on stuff like this? They are supposed to know a thing or two uh, to see Trump just, you know, whiz all over the established Western order of which the United States has traditionally enjoyed the top position to just, you know, 
whiz all over it and walk away. This is a Republican? Right. And of course, as Richard Haas has pointed out, the the tariffs on dairy would have been uh, reduced greatly under the TPP, which first Mitch McConnell obstructed on. And then Trump, as one of his first acts as president, unilaterally quit the deal. The rest of the Asian countries involved, by the way, said, well, we're going forward with it. And oh, by the way, Mexico and Canada have made deals with the EU in recent weeks. Trump, the big deal maker, he can't make a deal with anybody except Kim Jong Un <laughs> and Putin. Maybe. Maybe. And it's pointed out in this in this article, this sort of analysis of the uh, the by Anna Swanson. Uh, the title being "Trump Upends Global Trade Order Built by U.S." Uh, this is another um, perspective on this. The author writes, among the developed nations that make up the group of seven that met in the resort town near Quebec this weekend, the United States has tariffs that are slightly higher on average across all of its imported products than Canada or Japan, and exactly equivalent to the four European nations in the G7. Uh, Of course, Trump was lobbying that this needs to become the G8 again. (laughs) that Putin needs to be back in the club. Uh, Of course, he was bounced out of the club because of the Crimean and the Ukrainian invasion, uh, which is another story entirely. Uh, Most of the Russian economy is probably in money laundering and underworld activities anyway. It's it's not really an economy that's on the same level as the other countries in that organization. Well, it's not. And, of course, the the reality is that the Russian oligarchs have, have most of their money parked in London, <laughs> parked in the uh, Florida. Florida and the Bermuda Triangle and those tax havens out in the uh, Atlantic Ocean. Um, that's where the money's going. The people in Russia are not benefiting from so-called capitalism. It's 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 an oligarchy. And anybody with any common sense knows that's what's going on. And by the way, the tariffs that uh, Trump has uh, imposed this year, $60 billion on steel, aluminum, solar products, and washing machines that flow into the United States from around the world. Now, another product that's under appeal at the WTO is soft lumber uh, imported from Canada, Trump slapped a tariff on that a couple of months ago. Uh, they talked to some house builders. Oh, that's going to affect housing starts. And what was, what did they yeah. say? They said it's going to add $7,000 to the average cost of a new home. Who's going to pay that? Well, some consumers are kind of like, well, I don't know if I want to build under those prices. Maybe I'll wait this out and see what happens. So that means fewer houses get built. That means fewer guys get paid to build houses. Sure. So the ripple effect is self-evident. You know, a, a sixth grade economics uh, class could understand the basics there. So, yes, I mean, we're nowhere near a trade deal. I've pointed out before. I'll point it out again. NAFTA's a done deal. There's nothing to renegotiate. You can slap on some tariffs here and there. All of the provisions of NAFTA expired in 2012. 
I don't know if Trump's actually read the document, but that's what I've read. Uh, They still had a pending dispute, by the way, over Mexican truckers being allowed into the United States. The United States said no. The Mexican truckers are not allowed in the United States. That was done for safety reasons. Uh, That may be a red herring. I don't know. But what I do know is that the United States hardly loses in these disputes. And Trump's exaggeration about the trade deficit connected to NAFTA is pretty outrageous because a big chunk of it is oil. Remember, the structural component of oil in our trade deficit is about 33, 25 to 33 to 38 percent. And what is it dependent upon? The price of oil. So what was the year when we had the biggest trade deficit in recent years? It was 2008 when oil prices went up to $150 a barrel. That's what creates the imbalances in the trade deficit. The United States simply consumes more oil than it produces. And it also consumes more toys than it produces. (laughs) So if Trump wants to really work on uh, reducing that trade deficit, And since he loves being the Grinch that stole Christmas. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. We're not allowed to say Merry Christmas anymore. (laughs) We're back to saying Merry Christmas. Another phony red herring. (laughs) We can say Merry Christmas again because Trump is president. I'm like, well, (laughs) when could we not say that? (laughs) Yeah, that's always been an absurd. A a Bill O'Reilly special. Unbelievable. And of course, there are other arguments that part of uh, <clears throat> what's killing jobs is not um, trade uh, uh, deals or whatnot. And of course, the history of the Smoot Hawley tariff and uh, another real example here in Michigan, uh, a famous historical example, is Europe after the end of for the First World War uh, slapped big tariffs on American cars. Okay. What did General Motors and Ford do? General Motors went over to Germany and bought a car company called Opel. Opel was around for about 70 years. They had production in Germany owned by General Motors. What did Ford do? They went to England and bought a company called Vauxhall. Those are small examples, but they show you that multinational corporations are going to go around these tariffs and rules no matter what. They're not going to work. And we already know, for instance, with the steel tariffs, that when Bush imposed them in 2002, it ended up to the loss of 200,000 manufacturing jobs in the United States. Trump hasn't taken that into consideration. He wants to have these rallies in... uh, West Virginia and and Pennsylvania, where he's claiming he's bringing back jobs and these trade policies are working. Well, very few of them have actually been enacted. And this mythology that he's a deal maker, there's no evidence of it. No, there really isn't. It's it's kind of bizarre that people still actually say that. I mean, I know he has a book called that, but... uh... He's probably not even read his own book, quite frankly. I mean, yeah. one concern that people are having, we're coming up to the end of the program. Uh, you're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. And uh, stay tuned for Yazoo City Calling, which will be coming up in a few minutes. Uh, is the extent to which 
Trump's uh, erratic behavior, let's just call it that, uh, the extent to which it's going to uh, create lasting damage between the traditional Western alliance or political institutions uh, and so forth. It's hard to say. Obviously, nobody knows what that future portends, but uh, you do almost feel as though there should be a gigantic sign hung out on the old Statue of Liberty that says, out of order, uh, back in a few. Child on ramp.